A Hobo Hut Media production. Every city has its secrets, and Sydney is no exception. Welcome to Sydney Untold, a podcast about uncovering Sydney's hidden locations and history. From abandoned tunnels to secret gardens to even the most haunted road in the world. Let's step back in time as we uncover some of Sydney's secret past. Castle Hill, or Cutharinga to the Aboriginal people in the area, is located in Sydney's northwest. It's a reasonably quiet suburb and has been home to Patrick White, a Nobel Peace Prize winning author who lived there for 18 years after World War II. But did you know that Castle Hill is Sydney's third government farm and was also the location of a convict revolution during 1804, brought on by the 1798 Battle of Vinegar Hill in Ireland? Castle Hill as we know it today was originally formed by Governor Philip in 1791 with Governor King forming Sydney's third government farm on July 8th, 1801. It was first referred to as Castle Hill on March 1st, 1802. The farm was first described by Francis Perron, a French explorer, in October 1802 as an infant town consisting of a dozen houses with cultivated land and several handsome farms. The land was used to grow native trees, including eucalyptus and rough-barked apple trees, but was also used to grow crops and keep cattle. In 1800, Irish convicts began to arrive on the shores of Sydney town. Not so much people convicted of crimes, but people exiled by way of negotiation. That's the voice of Peter Moore, an Irish history lecturer an Australian author. People like Michael Dwyer, who's famous, but lots and lots of others. About a thousand came over 10 years. By 1804, there's probably about 600. Following the 1798 rebellion in Ireland, the British began to send over Irish rebels who'd fought in the rebellion to Australia. They were sent on convict ships, the Minerva, on January 11, 1800, and the ironically named Friendship, which was part of the first fleet, and were offloaded into Sydney. At the time, Sydney Town had only a population of 2,500, and of that, 43% were convicts. In the surrounding areas of Parramatta and Toongaddy, there was a combined population of under 1,500 people, of whom two-thirds were convicts. However, most of the military was situated around Sydney, with only small garrisons stationed at either settlements. The Irish convicts were still quite dissatisfied with their new British overlords and could sense vulnerability in Sydney. As a result, throughout 1800, rebellions against British rule continued in New South Wales, which then eventually led to the rebellion at Castle Hill in 1804. In August, plans for an uprising had reached the general population. Passwords and hand signs were created and distributed amongst everyone, as conspirators tried to gain recruits. However, authorities soon figured them out, and 18 men were sentenced and were sent to Norfolk Island. In September, there was another planned uprising in Toongabbie, which would have involved storming a church and overpowering the soldiers, then capturing their barracks. 
However, their plans weren't successful, and they were tried and also sent to Norfolk Island. Then finally, in December, these convicts exiled to Norfolk Island planned a final attack on Christmas Day. They'd learned from their mistakes of the past, notably the need to recruit soldiers and have a leader, a man by the name of Dr. Grant, the assistant surgeon. They also enlisted five soldiers. However, like their attempts before, the plot wasn't successful. Other leaders, Peter McLean and John Houlihan, were tried and executed. Dr. Grant was sent back to Sydney and many others were flogged. In 1801 and 1802, more ships arrived from Ireland. The Annie, the Atlas I and II, and the Hercules. On them, even more exiled men and women who'd fought in the 1798 rebellion, bringing even more evidence of civil unrest in the countryside of Ireland. Then on Sunday, January 22nd, 1804, a whaling ship called the Ferret brought with it newspapers as recent as August 22nd, 1803. In them were the first reports of a new uprising in Dublin led by Robert Emmett, a young Irish Republican intent on overthrowing the British Crown and Protestant ascendancy in Ireland. However, this uprising proved unsuccessful with Emmett being hanged and then beheaded on September 20th the same year. Exactly six weeks after the news of Emmett's failed revolt, the stage was set and the prisoners at Castle Hill began to plan for a revolution. On the day of the 4th itself, the uprising, I suppose, truly starts. One of the natural leaders, Philip Cunningham, gave a speech at Castle Hill in which he outlined his plan. Cunningham was a former United Irish captain and recruiting officer, now overseer of government stonemason. His plan was quite simple. It was to arm themselves and go up against whatever was thrown at them, eventually taking control of the area. But on the evening of the 4th, there's this state of apprehension going on all over the place. The group began raiding houses, including those belonging to the leaders of Castle Hill and the Toongabby area. There were 200 convicts who were only guarded by a few constables. They mostly all joined the uprising, so this part wasn't too difficult, as they too felt the need for the end of British reign in New South Wales. Following this successful raid, Cunningham gathered his men together to celebrate. It was here he gave his famous speech to rile them up and prepare them for their night of rebellion. He assured everybody that Sydney and Parramatta were already taken on slim advice. He said that after further securing arms, he would lead them to the Hawkesbury where they'd be joined by another 1,100 men, trying to imply they were already organised. The army would then return to Castle Hill for breakfast and then proceed to Parramatta where Government House, of course, in those days was seated and they would plant the Tree of Liberty, which is one of the icons of the 1798 rebellion as indeed it was of the French Revolution. It was also in this speech he chanted the phrase, Now, my boys, liberty or death, which had similarly been used by the Irish during the 1798 rebellion. News quickly spread across the state. By 10pm, the alarm was sounded in Parramatta, and by dawn, the news had spread to Sydney. 
It was at this stage the government in Sydney began planning for an attack and mobilising their troops bound for Castle Hill. The attack wasn't taken lightly, with settlers beginning to flee the area, fearing they might get caught up in the crossfire. Notably, John and Elizabeth MacArthur, who were pioneers in Australia's wool industry, were reportedly to have fled downstream on the Parramatta River to escape danger. By midnight, Major George Johnston was in Annandale, his home, and he was alerted that the governor was on his way. And shortly after, the governor turned up with the word, as he said, five to 600 croppies were in arms and were on their way to Sydney. Croppy was a name given to Irish rebels back in 1798. It referred to the cropped hair worn by Irish nationalists who were opposed to wearing the powdered wigs often associated with the British. By 3am, Cunningham and his men were on their way to Toongabby, via Prospect, about five kilometres away. The divisions are sort of set in by dawn. It's at about four o'clock in the morning that you could say the battle might have begun. The governor got to Parramatta. He brought his troops. There was a report that there were 100 soldiers involved, but in fact, it turns out to be more like 55. They arrived at dawn. They were given a dram of rum, half a loaf of bread, and marched off in the direction where they thought the rebels were. Major Johnston was a military man who had been in the service for 20 years. He was from Annandale, Dumfrieshire, Scotland, and was an early European in New South Wales, part of the First Fleet. Major Johnston, while an experienced soldier, wasn't particularly special, but what he was good at was his ability to drill his troops. He was able to get his men to create large volume of firepower and reload in quick succession. They were told, I think, about 400 rebels were up on Constitution Hill, but in fact, uh, they had to keep marching to find about 250. So by mid-morning, they've chased around the countryside of about 16 kilometres all up, and they finally received word that they were about two kilometres ahead of them on what we today call Vinegar Hill near Castle Hill. One of the troopers was sent ahead to parley, with orders to convince the convicts to stand down and surrender. The trooper shortly arrived at the rear of the group, raised a white handkerchief, and signalled he wished to talk. He told the rear guard of the convicts that the governor was on his way, and that any delay would only escalate the situation, and that more troops would have to be called in. The convicts split off and discussed the troops' demands for a while, However, they agreed to ignore him, instead disarming him and sending him back to tell Major Johnston that he couldn't convince them. However, Johnston decided to give them a second chance. He sent in Father Dixon, an Irish priest, as uh, himself a 1798 combatant. He got the priest to speak to them, but they refused to listen to him too. At this stage, the troops had started encountering stragglers, deserters, or people who were just plain confused. And he realised that they were not only a kilometre away, but they were not going to be particularly well organised. So about about 11.30, Phil Cunningham stepped forward from the ranks to talk to Johnston. He said he wanted to avoid bloodshed. He offered to bring Father Dixon to them again. This time, the convicts replied with a modified version of their slogan, liberty or death and a ship to take us home. This phrase is seen by historians as the convicts knowing that the solution was very black or white, freedom or death. 
Since most of the convicts had fought in the 1798 rebellion, they wanted a ship to go home to Ireland and return to the fight. By noon, Major Johnston was realising that there'd be trouble. The rebels themselves were forming into a line on a sort of second hill above the plain, and there they were standing with quite a few gunpowdered weapons, muskets and things, but also cutlasses. Not a particularly good lineup. Major Johnston lined his troops up as a gallantry. Cunningham toffed his cap to Major Johnston. When he was called on to surrender, the reply was the same. Liberty or death and a ship to go home. Negotiations were useless. The battle had begun. Bullets began whizzing past on both sides. Johnston produced a pistol he'd concealed in his sash, stuck it to the head of one of the rebels and said, I'll blow your soul to hell. Johnston had seized the moment. I think he'd surprised everyone else. It was at this stage, Major Johnston, with his men, overpowered Cunningham and another convict leader, taking them into custody. After the rebellion, Governor King had Cunningham and eight others hanged without a trial. It is estimated that 39 convicts died in, or because of, the uprising, although accurate numbers may never be known. Cunningham was sent to a small town in Windsor and was hanged from the second story of the granary. Seven convicts were also sentenced to between 200 and 500 lashes and another 23 rebels were banished to the Coal River Chain Gang in Newcastle. While the rebellion at Castle Hill did prove to be unsuccessful, the events of 1804 did later prove inspiration for another famous rebellion, namely the Eureka Stockade of 1854 in Victoria, which then went on to see large reforms in how Australia's electoral system worked. Visiting Castle Hill today, you can see a concrete wall with a sign and flagpoles commemorating the Battle of Castle Hill as well as the Battle of Vinegar Hill that was also in 1804. This monument is a tragic reminder of the suburb's past. Thank you for listening to this episode of Sydney Untold. I hope you've enjoyed learning about the history of Castle Hill and the Irish Rebellion of 1804. This episode of Sydney Untold was hosted, written, produced and edited by Harry Hughes. And thank you to our associate producer Adam Hughes and Peter Moore for his interview. Herberhut Media would like to recognise the Katharinga people and the Gadigal people past and present, the location of which this episode was located. Links for more information about the Irish Rebellion of 1804 are available in the show notes below. 